Welcome everyone to episode 74 of the Practicology Podcast. This episode is going live on June 26, which means that we are getting closer to July, which means we're getting closer to August, and that means that we're getting closer to our second August Summer Challenge. Tune in next week to catch the details on that. Please don't miss it. We're excited about everyone participating in that challenge. For now, though, we are returning to our series on the local church in episodes 62, 64, 66, 68, and 70. Matthew led us through studies on the church as a garden, as a building, a body, a household, and a pure virgin. And these are all New Testament metaphors for the local church. And today we are looking at the church as a golden lampstand, which is a figure we find in chapters 1 to 3 of Revelation. Excellent. That's Revelation as in the final book of the Bible, not the song played by Third Day, I believe. And we have not dipped into Revelation very much at all on this podcast, Matthew. Uh, It is, though, a type of literature full of symbolism. And some of those symbols are a little hard to unwind. But uh, Matthew, I'm glad you're picking an easy one because Revelation itself tells us what the lampstands are. They're the churches. Right. So we're not making this up. We're not pulling it out of a hat. This is an easy to demonstrate example of the scripture, interpreting the scriptures. In Revelation 1, John hears a loud voice. Then he says, I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. Then a few verses later, the Son of Man, the risen Lord Jesus says, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Right. So there's no wiggle room here. Uh, Revelation 1 says the local church is a gold lampstand. But Matthew, uh, I've always been taught how the church is a brand new thing. It's a New Testament thing. And yet this imagery of the lampstand is is continuous or it's drawing from Old Testament imagery, right? Uh, we find the lampstand in the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, for example, and then again in Zechariah. Yeah. So there is continuity and discontinuity between the old and the new. And that first lampstand that we read about in scripture in the tabernacle in Exodus, it is a remarkable, I think we could say maybe miraculous piece of work. It's about 75 pounds of solid gold formed with very intricate details shaped into one golden lampstand by men who were specially filled with the Holy Spirit. Local churches are similar, brothers and sisters. They are a result of a special work done in the power of the Holy Spirit. A church of God is more than a group of men and women drawing up a charter on how to serve their community. Lots of people do that with no divine power. And I'm not saying those community organizations are bad things. I'm just saying that a group of people getting together to agree on how to serve their community, that's not what makes them a church. A local church begins with people who have been born of the Spirit. It's built upon a foundation of Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's a golden lampstand. And for local churches to fulfill their intended purpose before the Lord, there is an ongoing need for divine power in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and I like what you said there, Matthew, about local churches fulfilling their intended purpose. You said before the Lord. I I think that's really important for us to remember that the church is first and foremost for God. And Revelation 1 to 3 is emphasizing that too, because it presents the Lord in these chapters as as one who is evaluating uh, with the way he is dressed and described and he's called the Son of Man. All of these things point to, to a, a picture of the Lord Jesus being like a priest judge pronouncing his verdict on the churches. 
Yeah, that's why I like the title of John Stott's commentary on these opening chapters of Revelation. He calls it, What the Lord Thinks of the Church. Maybe we should say what the Lord thinks of the church and the churches, but the point is, as you say, Revelation 1 is not what evangelical Christianity thinks. It's not what the culture around us thinks. It's not what the preachers think, but what the risen Lord thinks. As ministers of the gospel, Mike, you and I, who travel among various local churches at times, it's easy for us to form some quick opinions upon local churches that we visit, but we're often only there for a very brief period. We don't know the circumstances behind what we see. We don't know the complexity of the local problems that that assembly is dealing with. We don't know how big of a trial some particular saint is going through or how much they're pouring themselves into that church behind the scenes. But the Lord sees and the Lord knows. Yeah, I do try to remember that, Matthew. And um, and it just leads us all, hopefully, to be not too trigger happy, you know, to, to just be slow to judge other local churches. Uh, in contrast to our very limited knowledge of the true reality of how another local church is doing, our Lord Jesus says over and over in, in this part of Revelation, he says, I know, I know your works. I know, I know. So he knows. And uh, you read in chapter one how he is among the lampstands, like he's walking in the midst of them, sort of like he's patrolling them. I know that's not normally how we think of Christ's presence among us. It isn't how the New Testament normally presents it. But maybe it should be no surprise in Revelation because Revelation is full of these solemn judgment scenes. Yeah, and 1 Peter 4 says judgment begins at the house of God. So before the Lord passes his judgment on a Christ-rejecting world in the rest of the book, he first comes to trim the wicks and pass his judgment on his golden lampstands. Again, John Stott says that based on these chapters, no church has a secure and permanent place in the world. It is continuously on trial. That's a good warning. We don't have the liberty to say, oh, but surely we're the people. We have the truth. There's, there's no danger of that with us. That's exactly the attitude that characterized Israel in the days of the prophets when they said, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And that didn't end well for them. So cherish the position the church has as a golden lampstand, but recognize that there may still need to be repentance and improvement in that local church's practices. That's what the Lord is seeking to bring about in most of these seven churches he addresses in chapters two, three. Yeah, and we shouldn't say, I don't like this side of the Lord Jesus. We should say, Lord, what do you have to say to the local church I gather with? It shouldn't shock us that the Lord would be very interested in the spiritual character of his churches. It's his name we're representing. Like, you know, how some vehicles on the road have their business name on them and sometimes written on the back of the vehicle is, how's my driving? Call one two zero four eight. Well, I'll stop there, Mike, before I give everybody your number. But uh, the commercial entity wants their driver to feel that responsibility of representing the company name and the way they drive because that name is plastered to the vehicle. Well, local churches are representing the name of Jesus Christ in a dark world. And he has every right to be concerned with how well we do that. He's deeply interested in the spiritual character of his golden lampstands, like you've said. Secondly, notice that each of the seven lampstands or seven churches receive their own individual evaluation. And every evaluation is different, just as every local church is different. So another key lesson to take from the lampstand imagery is that of the autonomy of each local church. Here's another point of discontinuity from the Old Testament imagery of the lampstand. In the Old Testament, you had one lampstand with seven branches all attached to one another. 
in this New Testament metaphor, you have seven individual distinct lampstands. That's a very different thing. Israel was a, a single nation. They had a single temple. They had an earthly headquarters, so to speak. Not so with the church and the churches. There is no earthly headquarters for New Testament assemblies or local churches. There's no denominational organizational tie and vision in the New Testament. There is no group of well-known, well-respected men or women that oversee the churches of a geographical area. There is no parachurch ministry that has the final word on doctrinal stances for the churches. There is no- I think we get the point, Matthew. Great. (laughs) Yeah, and it's a good point, Matthew. It's a clear point from Revelation 1 to 3. The Lord speaks directly to each church, to the angel of the church in Ephesus or to the angel of the church in Smyrna and so on. He doesn't speak to the church in Asia, but to these seven individual churches, because each one of those churches is individually responsible to the Lord, as you're saying. And thanks for that last statement about being responsible to the Lord. That's what we mean when we speak of autonomy. It isn't a perfect word, admittedly, in a sense, because it it sounds like we are self-governing, when the reality is we are to be Christ-governed. And there is, there is government and guidance within the local church on earth. We'll talk about that in episode 76. But our point here is that each church is accountable to the Lord Jesus. In that sense, we have a heavenly headquarters. All right. So, Matthew, I can't let you get away with this. This is the Practicology Podcast after all. You're talking about the autonomy of the church, about how we have this heavenly headquarters. So what does this mean for us practically? What, what are the implications of the autonomy of the local church? Well, the point is that Ephesus wasn't responsible for Laodicea's status before the Lord. And Ephesus wasn't in danger of being removed by Laodicea, but by the Lord. The church that I meet with at North Street isn't the judge of what's going on in Manitoba. Local churches in Ohio aren't to dictate to local churches in Michigan how they should function during a pandemic. What if local church A in Southern Ontario invites a brother to preach and local church B in Southern Ontario doesn't think they should? Well, it's not the responsibility of local church B. And local church B doesn't have the right to dictate who should preach at local church A. What if local church X in Iowa has a different expectation from local church Y as to how people should dress when they meet with the church? Well, local church X and Y should respect each other's decisions on those things. If I'm from X and I'm going to Y and I know the expectations are different, it may be wise to take that into account if I visit there, but there needs to be respect among the churches for the autonomy of each assembly. Right. And I appreciate all this ecclesiological algebra, uh, Matthew. Next time my daughter says, you know, why do I need to study algebra? I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll maybe point to this episode of the Practicology Podcast and show how, how practical for real life it is. So thank you for that. Good stuff. And I'll just say, if, if people want to think a little bit more about local assembly autonomy, I'd encourage you to go to truthandtidings.com and search for articles by Sean St. Clair and Tom Bentley on, on assembly autonomy. Both those articles I found to be very helpful. But, but, but. It sort of sounds like there's a but there, Matthew. Yes. But another thing Revelation 1 to 3 is teaching us is that while the seven churches are seven separate individual lampstands, they aren't entirely disconnected. For example, the Lord concludes each address to the individual local church by saying it's what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. And it's the same Lord Jesus that is in the midst of all the churches. So the seven churches have a common head, a common Lord. 
And it would be to the benefit of Laodicea and Smyrna if the church in Ephesus repented before it was removed. It would be a blessing to Pergamum and Sardis if if Smyrna endured through their difficulties. They are situated in the same region. They share a common purpose. So the figure of the lampstands also teach us the value of fellowship between the churches. Local churches are autonomous in the sense that we have described. They are individually accountable to the Lord, but they should be following the same Bible. They aren't to be autonomous to the point of chaos. Yeah, I really appreciate that point, Matthew. That's excellent. Um, because ideally, we'd like to work together at times, right? And and to support one another. We'd like to benefit from teaching from one another. Uh, we can be a stronger witness to the gospel through a shared outreach at times, right? Exactly. Those are good examples. So while there's no formal affiliation between the seven churches, they are connected through their relationship to the Lord. And fellowship among the churches has been a massive, massive blessing to so many of us down through the years. Don't take it for granted. Don't cast it aside lightly. Don't think that you can't benefit from other like-minded churches. All right. So at what point does another church cease to be like-minded? Like uh, at what point do we not want to partner with another church? Well, that's the beauty of this teaching, Mike. That's a decision for each local church to make before the Lord. There, There is admittedly a tension between church autonomy and the desire for fellowship between the assemblies, and the Lord left it like that. There needs to be respect for the decisions other churches make that differ from ours, and depending on how strong a relationship the brothers of one assembly may have with one another, they may feel free to ask them about a, a course they are taking, but they have to leave it ultimately between those brothers and the Lord. And obviously, local church G, here's, I don't know if this is algebra, or maybe we're getting into trigonometry now, Mike, but local church G may move in a direction that local church H thinks is unhealthy. Well, local church H doesn't have to support local church G in that. But let me add three things here to this point, Mike. Remember, local church H is not accountable to the Lord for the decisions that local church G makes. The shepherds of local church H are responsible for the flock at local church H. Secondly, choosing not to fellowship closely with another local church doesn't mean you need to treat them as a colony of lepers or that you need to start praying that the Lord does remove that lampstand. Watch out for pride in your midst. Guard against an inclination to divisiveness. Be very careful about trying to cut other churches out because you may very well find that contributes to your own demise. Amen. Thirdly, when you are wondering if something necessitates hindering fellowship between the church you meet with and another local church, make sure this is an issue of clear, significant doctrine and not just an alternative application of biblical truth based on the circumstances in that particular locality or just based on an issue of of personal preference there. I mean, whether the meeting for the Lord's Supper is 45 minutes or 75 minutes is not something the scriptures spell out, for example. If another local church permits the use of various translations that you do not, that doesn't mean they are rejecting the Lordship of Christ. Significant doctrinal unity is precious uniformity of appearance and practice in every detail amongst the various golden lampstands is unlikely and unnecessary. Yeah. And this is just calling back to mind uh, one or two of those episodes that Vince Kember did in the fall, which were really good. Um, And so there is this tension um, between on the one hand, autonomy, and on the other hand, maintaining fellowship. And this is one of the reasons that 
that local church life can be such an education. But despite the complexity of all this, it is still a privilege to take the course of church fellowship in the school of Christ. I agree. You're right. It, it is complex at times, and we're going to make mistakes at times. Yet a precious thing to me, despite the struggles that some of these churches in Revelation 2-3 had and, and the struggles that we have, the lampstands are still said to be golden. This is the character of the local church in the eyes of the Lord who purchased them, who holds them in his hand. These struggling, straying, sinning churches are golden lampstands because they are his churches. That is so precious, uh, Matthew. And and so it's, so we're golden lampstands. What, what does the gold represent? Is it um, the glory or the greatness or the excellence of the church or is it reflecting the Lord? What do you think? I think it's, um, I think it's our reflecting the beauty of Christ and, and inherent in that is an aspect of testimony to the world. Yeah, that's good. And I mean, I, so I think golden scripture often points to gl glory or excellence. And if that's the glory or excellence that belongs to Christ, and we are then to reflect that, I think that jives together. Um, because th the point is, because this group of people is a church of God, a testimony to the presence and glory of Christ, it is golden. That's its status in the Lord's eyes. We might read some of the descriptions that the Lord gives in these chapters and say, meh, that one might only be a bronze level church. But Jesus says it's golden because it's one of his churches. They bear his name. Can you picture a small group of people meeting underground in Iran this week? A golden lampstand. An outdoor gathering amidst the canopy of jungle leaves somewhere, keeping the memorial supper to the Lord Jesus who bled and died for them. That's a golden lampstand. A church in suburbia on the edge of a big city struggling to stem the tide of consumerism and materialism in which its culture is awash. It's a golden lampstand. The assembly of which you are a part, despite its weakness. It's a golden lampstand. You're golden. The Lord doesn't speak to your church as just a bunch of messy, broken, pathetic bunch of sinners. He says you're golden, a golden lampstand because of your association with the Lord Jesus. Yeah. So once again, we're seeing how the scriptures exalt the significance of the church and how it's Christ that makes the church special. Uh, it should enhance the value in our own minds of what we're trying to do in a local church. It's, it's a big deal to the Lord. I know that the world doesn't look at the church and, and think, oh, there's a golden lampstand. Maybe they're more likely to, to view us as a relic of the past. But the church isn't designed to impress the world. It's, it's intended to show the glories of Christ. Yeah, awesome. Of course, that's not to say we don't love the people in the communities around where the church is located. We're not saying we don't reach out to them or welcome them in. But it's the evaluation of Christ that matters most. And as behavior so often corresponds to identity, if we want the local church to function practically in love as the Spirit of God wants it to, we need to grasp the identity that Scripture gives the local church, the value that Christ places upon it in addressing the churches as golden lampstands. And the truth is that if we're focused on pleasing Christ, and if we remember that the glory of Christ is the reason we exist as a church, we will be a better testimony to our community as well. Amen. Uh, the figure of the lampstand must also tell us something about our testimony or witness. Um, in chapter 11 of this book, the Lord speaks of his two witnesses, and then he describes those two witnesses as lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. 
Good. There's another example of how the scriptures help us interpret the scriptures, which is very helpful to bear in mind in interpreting all of the symbolism and revelation, by the way. But yes, the local church is a witness, a testimony to Christ. We are to be a light in a dark world. That's something worth pointing out in Revelation chapter 1 too. It is a nighttime scene. The angels of the churches are stars. When do you see stars? At night. Churches are lampstands. When do you need lampstands? In the dark. And the world is in darkness, 1 Thessalonians 5. And we are to show the light of Christ. That's what our gospel preaching should do, but it's it's in all that we do as a, as a church. The whole design of the local church and the way it functions, it's all intended to point to Christ and his greatness, which is why that first church that is mentioned in Revelation chapter 2, Ephesus, gets such a severe rebuke. There were There was lots of orthodoxy and activity in that assembly, but they had lost their appreciation of Christ. Yeah, the Lord says that they'd left their first love. And yet it sounds like to the human observer that they were doing all the right things. They they looked and sounded like a good church, but they forgot that it was all supposed to be about Christ. They were upholding a doctrine, but not the person at the foundation of the doctrine. And this is such a solemn reminder to us brothers and sisters, because this church that had so much going for it is the one church of which Christ said, I will remove your lampstand. So that is a good warning for us. The concept of a lampstand indicates the light of the divine presence, but the church that loses its love for Christ subsequently loses the light of Christ. But I think this is when we also need to remind ourselves that the one who is judging the churches is also very gracious. He wants to see the lampstand burning brightly, and he delights to supply the power to keep the lampstand burning. Amen. And and the idea of the Lord's sufficiency is seen right from the outset. Uh, before he addresses the churches individually, it says the seven stars are in his right hand. In other words, he has authority over the churches, but he also has the power to protect them. He holds them in his hand. Amen. Well, thanks, Matthew, for bringing us yet another episode on the church and uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. Please remember to catch next week's episode, episode 75, to get some details on our upcoming August Summer Challenge. We'd really love to have you participate in that with us. We're very excited about it. But in the meantime, we just thank you for joining us today. Take care. May the Lord bless you all. Bye.